as Tim said, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I am so honored that you guys would have me here. Here's what I know to be true. I am a stranger to all of you. You guys don't know who I am. You have no reason to listen to me at all. Can I just ask a favor tonight? Okay, this guy's with me. If you guys will give me your fullest attention for 30 minutes and give me as much feedback, as much energy, as much response as you can, I will try to give you the best sermon I have in me. Sound good? And here's the best part. If we both do that, our lives might actually be changed for the better by the time we leave. Sound good? Sound good. All right, listen. Um, What you should know about me, my wife and I, we moved here from Colorado about a year ago. We moved here with our two kids. I think we have a photo of our two kids. This is my son, Huck. He is a three-year-old. He is an adventurer. He is a terrorist of a toddler. He destroys things just for fun. And then that next to him is my one-year-old daughter, Maisel. She is the sweetest, cutest, most precious little girl in the world. When my wife and I, when we moved here about a year ago, we, we drove in two separate cars. We were like, one of us will take one kid, the other will take the other kid. I took Huck. He was two years old at the time. We woke up at 6 a.m. We were driving from Texas to Colorado. It was about a 12-hour drive. We piled into the car, it was like six in the morning. I got this kid up, put him in his car seat, buckled him in, and we got to rolling. An hour or so in, we stopped and we got breakfast. Man, the car ride was going great. Things were going perfect. A Few hours later, about three hours later, we stopped, we get lunch, because you know, boys, we gotta eat while we're driving. We're listening to music, he's watching like some YouTube show on my phone in the back, things are going great. We hit about 12 o'clock. I've been on the road for about five hours or so. And all of a sudden, my son is just inconsolable. He's just mad. He's just angry. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying, we're trying to get to Colorado. I'm trying to, and listen, some of you guys know this. Your dads are like this. When I get in a car to drive 12 hours, I am trying to get there as efficiently as possible. Point A to point B as fast as we can. Listen, I'm not even interested in stopping to go to the bathroom if I don't have to. Right, we can hold it for 12 hours. So we're driving, we're going, but my son is just angry. He's crying, he's screaming, and this doesn't go on for like 15, 20 minutes. I'm talking one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, but again, I'm locked in. I'm like, we are gonna get to point B, no questions asked. I keep asking him, Huck, are you okay? What's going on, buddy? And he's just going, ah! which doesn't tell me much about what to do. I stop the car, I pull over, I'm talking to him, you okay, you okay? He calms down for a minute. He kind of falls asleep because he's exhausting himself. He wakes back up. Guys, the last five, six hours of this trip was just my son screaming. Things on this trip were not going the way that we planned. Have you ever been on a trip like that? Where things are just not going the way that you planned? You're going cross country with your family and your siblings, you're in a car, you're way too close together, everybody's mad at each other. This is supposed to be like beautiful and fun at your summer getaway, and it's not. Maybe you can remember this summer, you're flying somewhere with your family and every flight it seems like gets canceled or you get stuck next to a crying baby on a plane or the guy who is just a little too big to be fitting in just his seat and he's sort of like falling over onto your seat. You've been there, you've had these trips. Finally, we pull into Colorado Springs. My, my mom, my mother-in-law, excuse me, she lives here, so we pull in, 
we park the car and I get in the back to get my son out and I realize that I am the worst parent of all time because I was so focused on getting from point A to point B. You know what I forgot about two-year-olds? Is they sometimes have to go to the bathroom. And when they don't go to the bathroom frequently and you don't change their diaper, it just happens in the car seat. My son was screaming for like five hours because his dad, who was so focused, so locked in on getting to Colorado, had just gone to the bathroom all over his car seat. Y'all, I felt like the worst parent in the world. But you know what? We made record time. <laughs> we got here faster than Map said we should have. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen, you guys know what it's like to be on a trip that's supposed to be going great, but things are just not working out the way that they should. And believe it or not, what we find ourselves in tonight as we open the scriptures and the book of Exodus, you guys have been walking through the book of Exodus, is we find Israel, God's people, in that exact same position. If you don't remember what Mateo talked about last week, let me sort of remind you where God's people have been in this moment in the book of Exodus. They were slaves in this place called Egypt and they begin to cry out to their God and, and what we know about God is that he, he hears them. He hears their cries and so he sends a man by the name of Moses, everybody say Moses. Moses. And Moses was a straight up G. Moses went to the Pharaoh and was like, listen, you gotta let these people go because the way this is going is not working and as you can imagine, Pharaoh didn't say, oh, that sounds like a great idea, I'll let them go. No, Pharaoh gets mad because the Egyptians were slaves, they were free labor to the Egyptians, or the Hebrews were slaves, they were in debt to the Egyptians and so they are driven harder and they're forced to work harder but what God does is he steps in through space and time and he creates a way for Israel to find freedom. So much so that he even comes to this moment where Israel is at the Red Sea and God steps in, he parts the waters and Israel walks right through, they end up on the other side of slavery and they're celebrating, they're excited, they're throwing parties on the beach, they're writing songs, they're singing songs, they have this beautiful moment of celebration, they're finally free. But what's really interesting about this story is not just the miracles that have happened in that moment, it's what is about to happen in the life of God's people. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible or if you just forgot it because you're not as good of a Christian as your friends, I'm just kidding, that doesn't mean anything. It just means they're more responsible than you. <laughs> we're gonna have the scriptures up on the screen. Here's what we're gonna talk about tonight as we open to Exodus 15. It's simply this, that your God, the God that we talk about when we read the Bible, this God is a healer. I don't know what comes to mind when you think that, but what we're gonna discover about who this God is is, is that for him to be a healer means something for Israel in this moment that we read, but it also means something for us here and now, Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, it says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. Everybody say Shur, because it sure was a desert. That's a bad joke, guys, don't laugh at that. But please laugh at that. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? 
Put yourself in the shoes of these Israelites. They were slaves who've now been freed and what they were told is that when they would be freed, things would be so much better and now they find themselves walking on this long journey. They've been walking for three days, 72 hours straight through the day and through the night. They're thirsty, they're hot, they're tired and they stumble onto this place that we now know as Mara. They stumble onto it because it's probably, what we can understand is there's like this desert spring. So they're in the middle of the desert, but water is somehow coming up. And what the scriptures say is that they begin to drink the water and what they realize is that the water is bitter. Now the scriptures are unclear about what this exactly means. When we think of something bitter, we think of when we eat something and it doesn't taste good and we just kind of spit it out and move on. But what a lot of historians and thinkers think about this moment is that the well that they stumble across, it's not that it tastes bad, it's that it's actually poisonous, that it's actually making them sick. Well, what we know to be true is the only way you discover if water is gonna make you sick, it means that people had started drinking it and they are now behind a tree somewhere handling their business. What's happening to them is what happens to you when you go to Taco Bell late at night. You think it's a good idea, you're like, look at this, and then all of a sudden, it's not a great idea. And so what happens, these people probably are getting sick, they're, they're throwing up, it's coming out of other places, they're not feeling well, and they go to Moses, and it says that they begin to grumble to Moses, they look at Moses and say, Moses, what are you gonna do to help us? What is gonna happen, you dragged us out of slavery into this place, and things are supposed to be going Well, and they're not, in fact, people are getting sick. What are you gonna do? That word grumbled has the implication that they don't just do it for like 10 minutes. They complain to him all night. So while Moses is trying to sleep, these Israelites keep coming to him, complaining and throwing a fit. I imagine at one point they look at him and go, God brought us out of slavery to this. What what in the world is going on? Is God even gonna help us? And it's interesting because how often do we do the same thing? We have these moments where God does something significant in our lives. He shows up, he does something big, something magnificent, and then we find ourselves just day later, days later going, well, I'm not even sure if I can trust that God. I'm not even sure if I can believe him. I, I know this happened for some of you. You went to Despo this summer. Anybody go to Despo this summer? Yeah. And you had this incredible moment. You, man, you heard God speak. You sang. You heard incredible teachers. And you had this moment where you felt like God was so good, but I bet what happened for some of you as a week went by or two went by and you found yourself going right back to the same old behaviors that you had for Despo, those same old habits, those same old beliefs and thoughts that you had. God had done something really good and really beautiful in your life and yet what had happened is you sort of forgot how good he was. Maybe some of you, maybe this is like your second or third time even here on a Wednesday night. You, can, you came a few weeks ago and man, it was incredible. You experienced something that you'd never experienced before. God was good and yet weeks have gone by and you find yourself in here feeling shame and guilt for not being perfect. How often do we have moments where we see God do something big and then just a few days later we begin to forget about it completely? This is what's happening to these Israelites. So they look at Moses and they say, Moses, are you gonna do anything, then Moses, as any smart man would do, it says Moses then cried out to the Lord. And this is where the story gets a little odd. It says the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Some translations would say they showed him a tree and he threw it into the water and then the water became fit to drink. It's an odd miracle that happens, but a miracle nonetheless. These Israelites are thirsty. They're 
they're dying of thirst and all of a sudden they've been given away to drink this water. This water that was once poisonous and bitter is no longer poisonous and bitter. This miracle has unfolded. We can celebrate, we can be happy. But something interesting happens in the very next verse. It says, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Everybody say test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 20 palm trees and they camped near, they camped there, excuse me, near the water. This is interesting for a couple things. What we find out in this moment is that God is in fact a healer. He's healed this water that they found that's maybe caused sickness or maybe even death in some cases and he's healed it. He's given them a way to have water and sort of deal with the issue that they're facing, the immediate problem, but there's something interesting that God says. He says he's gonna put them to the test and somehow the test that he's gonna put them to is connected to the fact that God is a healer. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about God being a healer, and I definitely don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the idea of God being a healer, but there's some sort of testing connected to it. What I do know is that often I'll talk to people, and they'll have someone who gets sick and dies in their family, and they begin to ask the question of like, well maybe they did something wrong, and God is punishing them. There's a real temptation to think that. When we read about a testing that will happen and we think about God as a healer, the things that come to our mind is, well, what God will do is he'll take care of us. He'll make us healthy and strong as long as we follow all the rules. As long as we get everything right, as long as we check all the right boxes, as long as we go to church on Wednesday and Sunday, as long as we give a little bit of money, as long as we're nice to people, that God will take care of us and he'll protect us. But there's a problem with that and many of you know what it is. It's what happens when you do all those things right and people that you know and love still get sick. What happens when you get all of those things right, you check all of the boxes and yet you yourself get sick or have a problem. See that idea, that thinking really only works as long as your life is perfect and nothing ever gets messed up. But what we know to be true is that that's not often how life goes, is it? Things happen, difficult things show up. Pain reveals itself to us. So that's one way that you could think about this. But what I would propose to you is that that's not actually how the Hebrews would have thought about this. The way that the Hebrews would have thought about this, that phrase that he tested them can also be translated in a completely different way. And it can be translated as this, that God proved himself to them. Now that's quite different, isn't it? It's not that God is sort of giving them a test that they can pass or fail, but what God is actually about to do in this moment is prove to them what kind of God he actually is. Are you tracking with me here? He's not just interested in putting them to the test, he's interested in showing them the kind of God that he is, that he's not the kind of God who can just sort of step into time and heal things, although he can do that. The God of the Bible, the God that we worship, is the kind of God who can step in through space and time and bring healing into our lives. He can heal those of us who have had relatives who've had cancer. We've heard miraculous stories of people going to the doctor and all of a sudden the cancer is gone. 
God can step into space and time and heal those things. He's very much capable of that, but that is not the primary way that God brings about healing. The way that God thinks about healing is far more holistic. In fact, here's what I would say to you tonight, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, that the primary way that God works as a healer is by putting the world back together again. The primary way that God works as a healer is by working to put the whole world back together again. You might be wondering where this idea comes from. Well, in the scriptures, there's this story that's told that God creates all of the world, and things are good, and they're beautiful. They're idyllic. And then he creates man and woman, and through disobedience to God, the world begins to fracture and pull apart. And what God makes a promise is that what he will do until the end of time is work and work and work to put the world back together again. This is the kind of God that he is. Some of you aren't fully getting it, and that's okay. Um, I have my friend Shailene here tonight. Can you guys give it up for Shailene? Miss Shailene, if you know her, she's awesome. Uh, Can you pull a chair up? Can you pull a chair? While Shailene figures this out, can, oh, someone to the rescue? Guys, can we give Shay, can we cheer Shailene on while she pulls a chair off of, look at that. No shame, no embarrassment. No shame, no embarrassment. Shailene, can you sit like over here and I'll like move over here and talk for a minute? The word that is used for healer in the Old Testament, in this moment in scripture, literally, is the word Rafa. Let me hear you say Rafa. Rafa. Like Rafiki from The Lion King, but not. So the word Rafa, the picture that is presented there when they use the word Rafa is not the way that we would think about a healer, right? When you think about a healer, what often comes to mind is like a doctor, right? Someone who is medically trying to help people feel better. Someone who's taking x-rays and seeing if things are are okay, and if not, they're gonna put someone in a cast. They're gonna take an MRI and see what's going on inside someone's body and figure out what they need to do. They'll prescribe medicine and they'll help sort of put someone's life back together. Again, that's the way that we think about it, but the way that the Old Testament Hebrews thought about a healer, the way they thought about this word Rapha, is the way that we would think about a tailor or a seamstress. Does anyone know what a tailor or a seamstress is? Yeah, okay, like four of you. Um, Let me explain how the world worked like 40 years ago. When you would have a piece of clothing that you really loved and cared about, you wouldn't just run to H&M and buy a new shirt. You would take it to a tailor or a seamstress and they would begin to knit back together this piece of clothing that you had that had ripped or had torn or, or had been burned or whatever, they would fix it. This is the picture of who God is in the scriptures when we think about a healer. Shailene has my t-shirt from Desperation this past year. My son, he was being a little rough, he, uh, he ripped it. And so Shailene is trying to piece this thing back together again for me. This is the picture of what God does, is he faithfully sits down with the world and he slowly but surely is trying to put everything back together Again, but what you have to notice is the way that God talks about how this healing works. What he says to the Israelites is that the way he is going to piece the world back together again 
is not just by him sort of fixing things off on the fringes of the world. The way that he will begin to put the world back together again is by bringing us, humans, back together with him. This is the way that God talks about healing, that he will begin to bring us back together with him. What God is doing to heal the world is drawing you back to him. He's restoring the relationship. This is what it means for God to be a healer of the world. Now, how does he do this? Well, really quickly, there are three things that we sort of see just unfold. You can write these down if you want. The first thing that he does is he's gonna help us hear and understand and recognize the sound of his voice. He says, if you listen to my commands, why is that important? Well, because Israel had just come out of slavery. They were just slaves. And when they lived in Egypt, there were a lot of voices that told them who they were, told them that they were nothing but slaves, that they were worthless unless they could do something, that they were only worthy of love and admiration if they could build something up. Here's the truth, some of you believe the same thing, that you're only good enough if you get straight A's. Some of you believe the only way that your parents will actually love you and care for you is if you do well in school, if you do all the extracurriculars and get everything right. But this is not what God says about you. In fact, let me ask some of you, what does God sound like to you? Does he sound like shame? Does he sound like guilt? Does he sound like you're not quite good enough? Keep trying just a little bit more. One of the ways that God wants to bring us back together with him is he wants us to learn what his voice sound like. The second thing that he wants to do for us is help us have a clear picture of a good way to live. He wants to reveal to us the right way in which to live well. How does he do this? Well, he says he's gonna do this by giving them commands and he wants them to follow it. Now, some of you have a hard time with Christianity and the religion of the Bible because what you have been taught, what you've believed is that Christianity is just a religion of rules. That it's just God is gonna tell you a bunch of things to do and you're gonna get them right or you're gonna go where? To hell. This is the picture that you have of faith. But that's actually not the way that God paints the world. Let me give you an example of this. When God tells the Israelites in just a few chapters that they need to take a Sabbath day and keep it holy, you know why he tells them to take a Sabbath day and to rest on it? Because they had just come from a place where they were told all they were good for was work. And what God knows about them is that they actually need to rest. In order for them to live well, they need to rest. They need to take a breather. Some of you need to hear the same thing. You've been trying so hard to prove your worth to people. You need to take a rest. You need to take a breath. When he would say to them, don't steal. God doesn't say don't steal because he doesn't want you to have nice things. God says don't steal because what happens when you steal is you become indebted to someone and it's a debt that you can never pay back which means you will carry a burden for the rest of your life. God wants these people and he wants us to live well also. The last thing that he sort of reveals really quickly of what it looks like for him to put the world back together again is that he is going to keep on revealing his goodness to them. He heals the water and then they all of a sudden end up at a place with water and trees and shade and beautiful. He doesn't just heal them once, he keeps on healing them. The way in which God is trying to put the world back together again, the way that God is trying to heal the world is by bringing us back to him. But here's the reality of how that works, is that while God sits and faithfully tries to knit the world back together again, two things happen. 
Two different things take place in the world in which we live. One of them is that things outside of us begin to try to pull and mess things up. They begin to, don't pull that away from me. They begin to try to like pull away what it is that God is knitting together. God is faithfully, because that's the kind of God he is, trying to piece the world back together, but there are things that come from outside of us that start to pull us away from God. Some of you have felt it, we've talked about it tonight. Some of you have felt already, a few weeks into school, your anxiety start to pull you away and feel distant from God. What God does is he faithfully sits there and keeps trying to put us back together. Again, some of you have felt things like depression begin to pull you away from God. Some of you, some of you, if you're honest, you go to school, you sit online and what you feel is made fun of, you feel bullied and so you sit in your room at night You have these thoughts of maybe it would be better if I didn't even exist at all. And in those moments, you can feel the world pulling and tearing you away from God. The expectations that your parents have laid on you, burdens that you're not sure you can carry. You felt yourself being torn and pulled away from God. But what God does is he never stops just because the world is trying to pull and tug away from you. What he keeps doing is faithfully sitting there knitting you back together with him. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is what it means to call God healer. But let's be real honest tonight. The things that pull us away from God are not just the things outside of us. It's not just the Egypts of the world making us slaves. It's not just our anxiety and depression. What we know to be true is that there are things deep inside of us that are actually pulling us away from God as well. Some of those things are things that we have a hard time even acknowledging. Those ways in which you talk about people that you go to school with just tug you away from God. The way that you gossip about folks behind their back. Those videos that you watch on your phone that your friends don't even know about. They start to pull you away from God, they start to fracture more and more your life with him. Those thoughts that you think about yourself have begun to pull and fracture your relationship with God. You've felt this already. Some of you have acknowledged it already tonight. The places of sin in your life that have started to rip away at the seams. God is trying to faithfully put things back together. Every time you've given your body away to somebody who's not your husband or your wife, every time you've, you've had a moment where you've scrolled on Instagram looking for acceptance and recognition and not looking for Jesus to give you your identity, you felt the very fabric of life be torn apart. But friends, here's the good news about who our God is. Even when you fail, He does not stop knitting the world back together. He does not stop trying to draw you closer to him. You can keep pulling away, you can keep running, you can try and rip it apart on your own, but the kind of God that we serve is a healer, which means he can't look at something that's broken and not try to heal it. This is who he is. This is what it means to call God a healer. This is what it means to say that he is Rapha, that he is the God who is taking the very broken pieces of our lives and attempting to knit us back together 
with him. This is what it means. Shailene, thank you so much for standing up here. Can we give Shailene a big round of applause? It's the best picture I can think of of what it means to call God a healer. But friends, here is the most beautiful thing about the gospel. Victor, you and the band can make your way back up here in a moment. What's beautiful about the kind of God that we worship is that what he does is never stops piecing us back together with him. Even to the point of recognizing that his death on a cross might be the only way to get us to see it. It was funny, I was joking with Shailene earlier this week when we were talking about doing this, that my original idea to sort of give you that picture was that I would preach up here and try to sew at the same time. And we all agreed that that was a terrible idea. Why'd we agree it was a terrible idea? Well, because I'm not good enough to piece things back together while I'm also talking to you. I'm not talented enough. In fact, I made a joke at one point that what would probably happen is I would end up running the needle through my finger and I would begin to bleed out all over this t-shirt to the point of potentially dying on stage in front of a room of high schoolers. Can I tell you that that would be massively embarrassing for me? But it's not embarrassing for God to do the same thing. It's not embarrassing for God to look at the world in which we live in and go, listen, the only way that I can get this thing back together is to actually lay my life down. So what does he do? He comes in the form of a human. He comes just like you and I. He feels like us. He, he thinks like us. He breathes like us. All the way until he finds himself on a cross, on a hill, and he bleeds and lays his life down so that ultimate healing could take place. Friends, this is the good news of God, that you, in your brokenness, and the world in its brokenness was not good enough to piece things back together on its own, and yet what does God do? Come and do it himself. Friends, can I invite you to stand tonight? The good news of Jesus is available to each and every one of you. And what some of you have realized tonight is that you walked in here feeling the tug of the world on your life. And what you haven't done is surrendered and laid those things down to him. Let me ask you, as we get ready to step back into worship, one question. Can we throw that question up on the screen? Where are the places in our lives of imperfection and brokenness that God is trying to heal? And the question that some of you need to wrestle with tonight is are we allowing him to heal it or are we just pulling away? Some of you can feel the moments where things like anxiety and depression, bullying, the pressures of life have started to pull you away from God. Are you looking at him and going, God, would you help me? Would you help me? Some of you can feel your own frailty and morality and the places of sin and brokenness in your own life. The question I have for you is, are you looking at God and going, God, would you help me? I can't fix this. I can't piece my life back together. Again, God, would you do it? So friends, as we step back into worship, what I want you to do is simply ask yourself the question, are you asking God to piece it back together? Let me pray over you tonight and then we're gonna step back into worship. 
God, we are thankful for the kind of God that you are, that you are in fact Rapha, you are a healer who is taking the very torn fabric of our lives and working faithfully and tirelessly to put it back together. This is the kind of God that you are, so we can't help but worship you. But God, we are coming to you tonight carrying and feeling the tug on our lives. We feel the external things pulling us away. We feel our own brokenness pulling us away from you. And God, we are asking you to help us tonight. Those places of sin and brokenness in our lives, would you bring healing to them? Those places of sin and brokenness in our world that we feel, would you bring healing to them so that we may be close with you once again, that you may begin to heal us, that you may begin to draw us into you. God, we ask, would you do that for us? We cannot do it on our own. It is not by works that we have found salvation. It is by faith. It is by believing and trusting that you are this kind of God. And God, what we do tonight is we open our hands and say, would you prove it to us? Would you prove it to us? We're not challenging you. We're just asking, would you prove it to us? For the girl who has walked in here with sadness and depression and wonders if life is worth living, would you prove it to her? For the boy who has walked in with brokenness, who feels alone, who walks in here and pretends that everything is fine, would you prove it to him? For all of us who are caring and feeling the pull of the world, would you prove it to us? We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship, friends.